Welcome to the Harvest Time Podcast. Harvest Time is a faith community reaching and embracing real people, engaging them in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit harvesttime.net. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So I want to share today a message called When You're Down to Nothing. I want to talk about those moments in life where we're in a waiting pattern, where the, day, the days seem to be just snailing by. It's the time between the problem and the solution. It's the time between the pain that you might be experiencing and the healing. It's the time between the hurt and the justice. It's the time between the prayer and the answer. I'm not talking so much about that, that moment where it's a crisis in your life, but it's that time where it just seems like nothing is happening, where you're in a mode of waiting. And when we get in times like this, it reveals the character that is in you. It reveals what is on the inside. When you're in these gaps of life, when temptation comes with greed or lust, what will you do will determine your future. Because what's on the inside will eventually come out. Like the story of the young man that was going to college and he had to earn some money in the summer and so he needed a job. He came back to his town, to his city, and he noticed, he looked in the one ads in the newspaper and he noticed that uh, there was a job opening at the local zoo. He didn't want to work at the zoo, and he didn't know what this job would be. He thought maybe he'd be having to do cleanup, you know, after the animals. He wasn't looking forward to that, but he needed the job so desperately, he went down and interviewed for the job with the manager of the zoo. The manager told him, he said, our famous gorilla has died, and so what we need is for you to put on this gorilla costume and to sit in the cage from the opening of the zoo to the closing of the day and just to act like our famous gorilla. This young man, he was so humiliated at the thought of this, but he needed the money so bad. He said, all right, I'll do it. And so he took the job. He put on the gorilla costume, and he went out there and sat in the gorilla cage. The gates opened to the zoo, and the children came flooding in with all kinds of people racing behind those kids. And they ran to the gorilla cage to, to see the famous gorilla. He was sitting down. He was all disgusted, looked kind of morose, kind of like a sad gorilla. But these children came up. They were screaming and cheering and shouting. And he kind of liked the thought of this, the popularity. He stood up. He began to beat his chest like a gorilla. Man, the cheers were louder and louder, and the crowds kept gathering and getting larger. And so he was hopping around on in that cage like a gorilla. He noticed as the cheers got louder, there was a rope hanging from up above. And so he Climbed up on the rope, and he started swinging back and forth, back and forth. And the children were cheering louder, and just uh, the enthusiasm was so palpable that he just got so excited. He swung so far that on one of those swings, his gorilla glove slipped, and he went flying over into the animal cage next to him. He landed flat on his back. Immediately, this lion pounced on top of his chest and let out a big roar and looked down on the gorilla. From inside the gorilla, the man began to just scream like a schoolgirl at a Jonas Brothers concert. I'm a man! Help! Somebody help! From inside the head of the lion came these words, Shut up! Be quiet! Or you'll get us both fired! I want to tell you, there wasn't one genuine animal in the entire zoo. You see, what's on the inside will eventually come out when you're down to nothing. 
I want to share a story from the scriptures, and I appreciate Pastor Marty talking about the value that this church places on the scriptures, the words of God. And it's a story of Saul, who Saul would become known as the Apostle Paul after his conversion, and he would become, many would say, the greatest leader of the early church. And, and yet we find him in Acts chapter 9 as this persecutor of the church. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Let's read this today. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to destroy the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind, and so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. The Bible says this, he remained there blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and without water. Let's pray over the scriptures. God, I thank you that we're so blessed to gather together in freedom, God, to have the scriptures in our language today, and Lord, I pray that as we gather, that love would be activated, that passivity would be shattered. Lord, I pray that we as a community would learn how to love wildly. And, and I thank you, Lord, for that grace that we sang about earlier in the songs. And Jesus, we're so blessed. We're so thankful. We love you and we'll give you all the glory for every miracle that you accomplish today. In the mighty name of Jesus, Harvest Time says, amen. Three days. Three days he was there. Fifty-nine times in the Bible this phrase, three days, is used. Joseph is in an Egyptian prison. He's there with Pharaoh's butler and the baker, and they have a dream, and he interprets it, and he says that in three days the baker will be killed, but the butler will be restored back to service with Pharaoh. Moses stretches out the rod, and darkness covers the land of Egypt for three days. Joshua and the children of Israel, they're about to finally enter the promised land, and the Bible says that they were sanctifying themselves at the Jordan River for three days. Esther has to go before King Xerxes, who's actually her husband, to stop this terrible plot where all the Jewish people could be destroyed by their enemies. And if the king does not raise the scepter to her, imagine that, she can be killed. That's kind of a nerve-wracking thought. And so she asks all of the Jewish people that are there in the city to pray for her and to fast for three days. Jonah is God's prophet. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the, this enemy of the, of the Israelite people. And Jonah, he's a disobedient prophet. He says, uh-uh, no way. And he heads to the west. And he tries to get as far away as he can. He gets aboard a ship. He goes out to sea, and God sends a storm, and the heathen mariners eventually throw him overboard. The Bible says a monster fish swallows him up, and he was in the stomach of the fish for how many days? Three days. In the New Testament, Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. His family is gone 
for the celebrations to Jerusalem, and they're there, and Jesus ends up talking with the religious leaders of the day, engaging them, and they're astounded at his wisdom. His parents leave to go back to their hometown, and after they leave there, they discover that Jesus is not there with them. They start to go crazy. They head back to Jerusalem, and they find him after three days. A different kind of three days for Mary and Joseph than it was for Jesus. Can you imagine? We've lost the Messiah. We don't know where he's at. And then Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of all of humanity, and he would be buried in the ground for three days, and then he would resurrect. And then here in Acts chapter 9, Saul is blind, waiting for more instructions from God, and he's there in Damascus for three days. So many individuals in the Bible had three-day experiences and, and many different types of experiences. Joshua, the children of Israel, they were needing to sanctify themselves for the three days. Esther, she was wanting courage and boldness to go up in prayer so that she could come before the king and ask for a request that she needed confidence for. Jonah ended up in a three-day experience because of his disobedience. That's why he was there for three days. And then we have Saul. Saul was somebody who he thought he was serving God, but he was on the wrong team. You know, all of us have experienced three days, whether it's a literal three-day time period or it's like a seven-day time period with the Freemans in Intutu. We have these times where we can think that our lives are on hold, where we're in the gaps of action taking place, where we think that nothing is happening in our life. These can be difficult times. It can be the space where you've lost a job and you're waiting to hear if you're going to get this next job from the interview that you had and you're desperate for the finance. I had a pastor friend that just a few days ago let me know that he went in and he had a certain scan and they found different masses on his lungs and, and now he's waiting for the next set of test results to find out if those, are, if those growths are cancerous. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe that's where you're at today. It could be a child that you've taught them and instructed them in the ways of God, but they've decided to choose something differently and they've rebelled against the teachings of Christ and all of the, the presence of Jesus that you've uh, brought them up under. And they're choosing to go their own way and you've been crying out to God and that's your three-day experience. I think we've all experienced three days. When everything is tested in our lives, what will you do? What will I do? What you do in those three days will determine your future. So what should we do in our three days? The first thing we should do is we should give God time. Be patient. Give God time. I love what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count or measure slowness, but he is patient towards you. You know, when I've ended up in my three-day experiences, I... I, I'm just, you know, a loud mouth, and so I start just whining and sniveling with the best of them. I begin to cry out to God, God, why? Why am I in this three-day experience? Why can't you do what I want you to just do on my behalf? Why is that? Because God is doing something in you. He is conforming you and I into the image of Jesus Christ. And God uses time. As Peter says, he is patient towards you. And you see, the deeper truth is this. 
it's not necessarily that God needs the time. The reality is that you and I are the individuals that need the time. Saul needed some time after being a person that was a hater of the Christians, and he needed some time. And years later, when he's ending his journey, he's writing from a prison in Rome. This is what he would say to the Philippian believers. In chapter 1, verse 6, he would say, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that God will do what he says he will do, amen? And that he wants to accomplish that in you and in I. You see, Saul needed some time. Could you imagine having been so passionate for a cause that you would be willing to put people in prison, even to see them killed because you thought they were opposing the real God? Can you imagine waking up one day and realizing that you've been on the wrong team? I've been to Europe, I've been to Auschwitz and Birkenau and seen the concentration camps and I've been in Czech Republic and Poland and Germany and met some of the, uh, some elderly people that, and they share with, with regret in their voice of how they were affiliated with the Nazi party way back during World War II. They thought they were on the right team, but they had been lied to. They were on the wrong team. I even saw some news articles uh, interviews with some of these ISIS soldiers that have been captured over there in Iraq, and they did some interviews with them. And some of these guys, they, they said, you know, we didn't fully realize what we were signing up to. We were afraid for our families and, and pretty much were forced into joining. And now we realize what we were a part of, and there's deep regret you sense in their voice as they're now prisoners of war. Saul was on the wrong team. The discovery of truth brings great freedom Yet there can be a lot of regret, and so God needs some time to work in Saul's life, in his heart. He's being confronted with truth, and he needs time to receive the grace of Jesus. And Saul would have his name changed to Paul. He would become the minister of grace. You see, we think grace means unmerited favor, and that's the Old Testament word for grace. But in the New Testament, grace is charis. And that means the divine influence in your heart and its reflection in this life. And I love that. In the New Testament, every time that we hear grace talked about, it's talking about God's power, and not just God's power alone, but God's power in a person, in an individual, transforming that person and working outward into the world that we live in. And so for Saul, the abstract has become personal. Jesus was becoming personal with Saul. And what Saul of Tarsus needs is to simply listen to God, to have this posture where he can receive the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, he would write later, that, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. Aren't you thankful that the grace of Jesus did not prove vain in your life today? Why three days? Because Saul needs to experience this grace. And not only Saul, but there are other individuals that need to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of God. He ends up in Damascus, the place where he was going to take Christian people and put them in prison, put them in chains. And so while he's there, he's blind now, and God speaks to Ananias, one of his leaders in the church there in Damascus. He gives them the IMAP instructions of exactly where to go to Straight Street and Tells him where you need to go, and in this room you're going to find Saul. 
and I want you to pray for him. He's my chosen man. Man, Ananias, he does what a lot of us do, you know. He knows God is omniscient, all-knowing, but he begins to debate God and argue with God. He says, God, don't you know that this man has been persecuting your church? You see, God is wanting to do a work even in Ananias' life. Acts 9.13, Ananias answered the Lord, I've heard from many about how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. I think Ananias was thinking, yeah, and he was wanting to drag my butt back to Jerusalem in chains. And so God wants to work not only in your life, but in the lives of others. That's why we experience three days. Why three days? It's so that we can really learn how to pray. Saul, for the first time in his life, he's really praying to the true Lord of this world, Jesus Christ. In Acts 9, 10 and 11, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to a a street called Straight to the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. Why? Because he is praying to me right now. Saul is really praying to me. We end up in these three-day experiences so that we can be stretched, so that we can really have trust in Jesus Christ, so that we can develop a deep prayer life. Our roots can go down. Why do we experience three days? Because God wants to work humility into us. He's doing a work of humility. In Acts 9-8, though his eyes were open, Saul could see nothing, and they led him by the hand, and they brought him to Damascus. Jesus said it's better to fall on the rock than to have the rock fall on you. The Lord wants to work humility within us. And and here's Saul. He was the best of the best when it came to the promise makers club, to the religious leaders of the day. And, And he had to learn humility. Mother Teresa said this. She said, you cannot understand humility unless you can bear the test of humiliation. And I've discovered on my journey that is absolutely true. The true test of a servant is how do you respond when you are treated like one? You know, it's easy to preach the cross to others, but we cannot delegate the carrying of the cross that we are to carry to others. We have to live this life. We have to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's a saying, and maybe you've heard it here in Arkansas, I'm not sure, but it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> you heard that? Why is that? Because children, they learn from an expression of curiosity, don't they? Little kids, we had four kids, ages five and under. Man, I got bombarded with, Dad, why? 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 They're curious about everything. But the older we get, the way that we learn isn't by the expression of curiosity. It's by the expression of humility. And so we want to be individuals and Christ followers that always have this heartbeat to be continual learners of Jesus Christ. Why three days? Because Saul needs to follow the directions of Jesus Christ. He needs to follow God's directions. Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you are to do. You see, Saul asked the question, who are you? And Jesus was so kind and good to actually respond to that. Now, God doesn't always respond to our questions, but sometimes he does. But he always will give us instructions. He'll always tell us what the next step is. I got a couple of my daughters, and by the way, I want to welcome all that online community. And I got two daughters. One's in Switzerland today with Youth with a Mission. 
and uh, Emily, and she's watching the live stream, and YWAM, I love that organization. It's like caveman Christianity. God said it, we're going to believe it, and let's go do it out in the world. And then another daughter is over in Israel, going to Israel School of the Bible, and so uh, they're overseas right now. They're watching online. You know, if we can't obey God during the three-day experience, we're not going to obey him after the three days are through. Some of you are here and you're being affected by previous mistakes that seem to linger with you. I want to tell you today, keep doing what is right. Do what you know to do is right. Just keep doing what is right and God is going to work on your behalf. Why three days? Because this is when we really learn to wait on God. I love Isaiah 40, 31, the great Bible promise. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. That means we can get perspective, God's perspective, on our situation in our three days when we'll wait on God. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. This is why three days. Harvest time, I came here today to tell you when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. I've heard theologians debate over why three days for Jesus in the ground. Why was he there in the ground for three days? And some people think that it was like a, a total battle going on, a fight. You know, it was like a 15-round deal going on, a UFC thing where Jesus finally in the last round, just before the devil almost tapped Jesus out, he was able to reach over and do some karate chop and knock the devil out. I want to tell you that's not what I believe. I think Jesus went in there, man, he just kicked the doors of hell open. He knocked the devil out with one blow. He grabbed the keys of hell and death for your victory and my victory that we could have eternal life. But still, why three days? I'm the kind of person that I meditate on these things. Why three days? I'll just give you my caveman Christianity theology on why three days. Bible says that Jesus was a man that is familiar with our sorrows. He's acquainted with our weaknesses. The reason Jesus was there for three days is that you and I would know that he can identify with us when we're in our three-day experiences. Why three days? Because you've been chosen by God. It's not by chance you're here today. It's not by random luck. The Spirit of God drew you today to this place to hear this message, to join with this faith community to worship the one living God that is worthy of all our praise, that's worthy of all glory in the earth today, and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom, to be his son, to be his daughter, and to have your life transformed. I want to pray for you today, Harvest Time family. God, thank you for this amazing church. Jesus, your presence is here in such a palpable way, a tangible way. And God, I first want to pray for those that might be here today, and maybe they've been a God-hater all their lives, but today in the worship, they've experienced your wild love. And Jesus, I pray that right now they would surrender their lives to you. The central thought of all the New Testament, all of Christianity, is that we would believe on the one whom the Father has sent. So, God, I pray for belief to take place today.
Lord, for those that are in three-day experiences, whatever that situation is, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today to wait on you, the one who gives strength. Jesus, we thank you for your love, your amazing grace. Touch us today in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. It's always encouraging to know how God is touching lives through this ministry. So if you have a story of how God is working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at share at harvesttime.net.